Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me, celebrating the world of long-form storytelling, one giraffe at a time, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. I would give anything to feed a giraffe right now. After watching that again, I just, yeah, it's on my bucket list. My wife and son, we sometimes uh, kick up an episode of AFV, you know, America's Funniest Videos on Sunday nights sort of a ritual of ours if it's something we watch on television that or american ninja warrior it never fails there's at least one video of a family or a couple inside a car trying to feed like a camel or some kind of obnoxious wild animal with food and they're getting pecked at and stuff not my favorite videos but perhaps a giraffe would be on one of those little safaris it wouldn't be nearly as like mean or whatever (laughs) no they're pretty nice animals i think you know you just give them some what was she feeding it? Grass? Bananas? I like don't know. A leaf? Leaves? Leaves, leaves of yeah. some kind? Yeah. Leaves of grass? Oh, that's a Walden thing. Okay, never mind. That's Henry David Thoreau. Get existential for a second. All right. We are in the season finale of season one of The Last of Us, entitled Look for the Light. If you didn't pick up on it, the first episode was the first part of the Firefly mantra, When You're Lost in the Darkness. And this episode bookends it with the last part, Look for the Light. It was something that... I honestly didn't pick up the first time as I was going through my rewatch and putting all the episode titles together. I was like, oh, that's clever. Way to go, Druckmann and company. I am really, really jazzed to get into this. We had high hopes for landing the plane of sorts. And, you know, this is our spoiler moment here where I'm like, it did not disappoint at all. I think the first time we went through this, we were like, don't change anything. Just do the chapter like it is in the game. And it was pretty much on point. I don't know that anything was changed dramatically and um, maybe a couple of small moments, but man, it was so satisfying to get this finale and the, the emotional drop that you feel at the very end is almost exactly like it is in the video game. You're like, what, what? (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that it is just a really well done finale overall and it did meet the expectations of sticking to the script and the one part that it adds at the beginning as we'll start with i'm sure because it's at the beginning it is a welcome addition it is a a worthy addition that Mm -hmm. i didn't have any problem with whatsoever so no well let's get into it we have a cold open for the first time in several episodes aaron i was thinking about you like he's probably just slow hand clapping as this episode is starting because he wants the cold open to happen. And we finally got one. There's this pregnant lady and she's running. She sounds like Ellie from the game. Wonder why that is. (laughs) Who knows? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I think before this episode dropped, there was an announcement a couple episodes prior that she was going to be making an appearance, but we didn't know who that was going to be. It was so fitting, Aaron, that Ashley Johnson, who plays the voice of Ellie in both Last of Us games, is playing her mother in this episode. It made perfect sense, not just because of the acting, but because we needed 
I think we needed an Ellie origin story. I think we needed to know where where does she come from? Where does all this angst, where does all this loneliness? Obviously, she grows up with it, but where did it start? You know, she was born at some point. This is what I think is probably a great piece, uh, like a great addition to the Last of Us mythology of seeing her mom run to a farmhouse, expecting to meet up with someone, and then running upstairs and getting attacked by yet another infected. So this was pretty satisfying too, not the attack, but the fact that we get an infected. I know we've had our complaints about the fact that it seems like there are only like seven infected in the entire world that we've seen, and like two of them are clickers. But now we see her fend off an infected. She's got the knife that we know so well, and she like neck stabs like we recognize from the game and kills the infected and really just has the baby at the same time. So I'm going to give this girl kudos for, you know, her unintentional like heroics here to be able to kill an infected and then deliver a baby. So I I didn't expect that. I I didn't know how it was going to be delivered, but the fact that it's the, the push to kill pushed Ellie out of her. And then we see this baby on the ground. It was kind of shocking. And I was kind of in awe at the same time. Yeah. Like you said, it perfectly illustrates the character traits that Ellie comes to develop. And that is brilliant storytelling, in my opinion. It also gives us an origin for the knife, which is such an important symbol for Ellie throughout her life. So to me, this doesn't change anything about what happens in the game it just completely enriches it further because we didn't know how ellie was immune why that is and whether or not i think it's realistic aside at least it's a reason that we now have and we can understand well this is where it started every time we see that knife come out and we see ellie's attachment to that knife it has so much more weight and meaning like as we were watching back through the show for this podcast having then you know the first time I watched it I learned about the knife and now I'm watching again and it just it just I don't know it hits different the whole way because you know where it came from and yeah Ashley Johnson so I knew it was her mom they had released in press releases she was going to play Ellie's mom but most people did not know what that meant like where that would be how she would show up was it going to be in a flashback and certainly didn't expect it to be quite in this manner and I loved it. I thought Ashley killed it. Yeah, it, it, it is just such a brilliant and heartbreaking backstory that we're being given, like, right off the bat to start this finale. I mean, it, is, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, it does. You kind of jog my memory a little bit. When they did make the announcement, I think I remember that. I do recollect thinking about where she would fit. And there was part of me that thought, oh my gosh, is she going to be part of the Fireflies at the hospital? Like, is Ellie going to get shocked because her mom is in this hospital with Marlene? And that would have been a very different ending. And I'm really glad they didn't go that way because there's so much about that whole last sequence that we'll get into that seems cinematically perfect, narratively perfect, that it was really, really great to see that Ashley Johnson didn't have to be a major part of this, even though the significance of her being Ellie's mom is there. We don't see her for very long because later that night, Marlene and one of her 
people, like two or three of her little soldiers, they show up and they are searching the house. We find out that her name is Anna. They find her singing and comforting Ellie. She's got her wrapped up. She is smart by saying that she didn't want to nurse her because she's been infected, obviously. She's been bitten. And this is where Anna asks Marlene to take Ellie and the knife. And then she says, I need you to kill me. There was a sobering moment here, Aaron. And I think this time around, knowing what was going to happen, I got a chance to just sort of sit in Marlene's reaction, watching her hesitate and then quickly goes in to kill her. I don't know. And I'm still kind of wondering the way she does it. Her face looks like it's one of anger. Her face looks like it's one of you're infected. I'm going to kill you. And I wonder if she had to be like, she had to switch her mindset in that moment to say, this is not my best friend. This is not the person I've trusted and who's trusted me for years and years and years, who I'm going to take her daughter and raise her because the way it happens, it's so quick and it's so aggressive that it causes me to go, did she have to just sort of shift something in her brain, like switch something that said, this isn't Anna anymore. And now I'm going to, I'm going to kill her. So I kind of want to know what your thoughts were on that. Yeah. I don't know that I quite had that read on it. Maybe close to that. I, I feel like I saw a tear. I agree with you that there is definitely a stealing of her nerves that happens when she turns and gives the baby to the lackey, the firefly, and puts the knife down. So, and, and I love I love the little details in this show all, all throughout it, but things like this piece of dialogue where Marlene specifically says, put your hand under her head. Like, she tells the man how to hold the baby. There's an intentionality in the words she uses. She doesn't just pass the baby silently. She tells him how to hold the baby. And then she turns, and like you said, she walks in, and we get that shot, that close-up of her face. I guess I feel like the anger that you're seeing is definitely there, and it's it's at the world. It's why does this have to happen? Like, how am I supposed to kill my best friend or this person that means a lot to me, this person that just had a baby that is never going to get to have a life with that child? And then, yeah, it's it's such a quick act. Um, I think it's very similar to the way we see Joel execute people throughout the show and specifically in an episode that we're talking about right now. Like there's a quickness to that decision making. Once it comes, you can't linger and you can't dwell on it. You just have to do it and move on with your life. And I think Marlene at this point already has been through a bunch of ish and is able to do that. And people like Marlene and Joel and Tess, like they're able to do these things Sad as it is, that's why they're the ones that have survived and the ones that can make it through when so many can't. It's because they have that ability. Um, and it's shown there from Marlene. Yeah, that's a great point. I appreciate that perspective. And I can see that to not be able to get away from the anger and to be beaten up by what's happened so far. It's almost like she's getting revenge on the world through this killing. I think she had to be able to sort of switch over and say, this is the world that I'm killing. This is the infected. This is not Anna anymore. And I imagine sort of as a side note, this might have, we never really get told how Ellie in her first kill, like with Riley, like how she did that. Did she have to get aggressive too? And I almost wonder if in a flashback, we would see the same thing happen with Ellie and Riley. These two people, these these two friends who cared deeply for each other, one turns and the other person has to, instead of going crazy together, she has to to make the hard choice and kill her, which she does. But 
we don't get to see that. And I, I kind of wonder if it's a little bit poetic that that might have happened that same way where she has to sort of go in with aggression and that kind of stuff. So just some speculation there. Well, we've moved on to present day. We're back with Joel and Ellie. They're on their way to the hospital and Ellie's daydreaming when Joel is trying to get her attention. Very much something that is um, exactly like in the game, complete with the sort of muffled voice of Joel trying to talk to Ellie. She's sort of just out there. I noticed the dynamic change here. This is something I got from the game, but I think it's Pedro Pascal's facial expressions, his nonverbal stuff that go along with his dialogue that show me that their roles have almost changed a little bit, Aaron. At first, you have Joel, who's been like road hard and put up wet. He is weathered by the life that he's lived. And you've got Ellie, who's this like freewheeling, pun-making girl who's trying to provide levity in this whole like messed up world. And now we have Joel. It's almost like the timber in his voice changes. He feels a little bit lighter on his feet, the way he delivers his lines. It just feels like there's optimism here. Like there's the first time I felt relief with Joel, especially as he's talking to her about, hey, I saw a guitar in that trailer. Would you want to play guitar sometime? That'd be cool. The way he shows her, I got Chef Boyardee because, you know, she likes Chef Boyardee. I love that. Those little things. Beefaroni. Beefaroni, right? I love Beefaroni growing up. It was so good. But I think that watching this, it really does create a dynamic shift because we've been on our toes so much. Like what what else bad is going to happen? What else bad is going to happen? And so I'm almost afraid to be with Joel these next few minutes as he is lightly just going along this this mission, knowing that things could get better. It was nice. I, I really enjoyed it. It was still a little uncomfortable because I hadn't been used to that, but I liked seeing this dynamic shift a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's just classic The Last of Us universe and the way that this apocalypse and such has been given to us. They go through a very hellish event of some kind and they come out closer inching there little bit by little bit this is where they're starting to you know bond in a way that is really special and makes you really happy and is going to intentionally make it much more difficult when choices have to be made i think one other part of this that i noticed is how it's so much on joel's end like joel has crossed over and Ellie is experiencing massive PTSD. Like you said, distracted. Like she is, I feel, it's not even just distracted. I think she is completely rattled by her experience at Silver Lake. She has stopped talking. She's normally chatty and sarcastic and banter. And it's just, it's none of it's there. While she isn't outwardly rude or doesn't push him away, I think that's the, that's what the old Ellie would have done. So you know there's still a closeness there. She's just, she's all up in her feelings, uh, big time. Um, and I think we see that and things that are going to happen in probably the next scene are things that help to bring her out of that. And it's in this moment that Joel is walking through a building and they decide that they need to go up on top of the building and over. And this is where we get one of the more beautiful moments of the game and the show after Ellie attempts to <laughs> bring a ladder down to, for him to climb. She lets it go, which is, it's exactly a game moment. Like, it also makes me angry 
Because Patrick, she drops the ladder and immediately screams, Joel, come on, get up here. And I'm like, you just dropped the ladder. Like, <laughs> he could come on a lot faster if you were helping him up. I was like, Whoa. but knowing, but, but knowing what she saw, I mean, I know, again, I know, I, I think it just adds to the opposite vantage point that she'd been kind of living with. Like if she had trauma and she was kind of in her feelings, this kind of turn the channel to say, we're going to still be in your feelings, but we're going to turn it up to the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. And so after climbing up the ladder, he follows her. He sees her at the edge of a building complete with giraffes. It is just amazing. It's the same feeling I got in the game. This like wide shot of a giraffe and this blue landscape. It was just purity. It was like nothing has been touched here by bombs and whatnot. Now, granted, the city is messed up. It hasn't been like completely like a utopian, but the fact that giraffes are walking around and the way that you know, it's interesting that they picked giraffes, it could have been elephants. It could have been monkeys <laughs> like it was earlier. I think it was very intentional that they chose giraffes because one, they're tall and they're, but they're very regal. The way they walk, their gait is very, uh, very Royal like, and it, there's an ease to the way that they are. Like when you look at a giraffe, do you think that you're going to get attacked like you would a monkey or a bear? No, giraffes, even if you can't pet them, and I've been not that close to giraffes, but I've been close to giraffes enough that they're very, very much like standoffish. So for them to choose this particular animal and to kind of reflect on the fact that, look, there can be some peace in this world. There can be little moments that we can appreciate, it reads right into Joel's conversation with Ellie, where he says, so is it everything you hope for? And she goes, it's got its ups and downs, but you can't deny that view. And I think that statement that she makes is her way of saying, life sucks most of the time, but this is an up. And this view, you can't deny. Metaphorically, this moment, this sense where I can breathe as easily as you can, Joel, let's just sit here. I think the dialogue between them here is is precious and it just solidifies how deeply they care about each other. Yeah, I think the line that really came out of this one for me was when Ellie's telling him that when they're done, what they're going to do. It's so sweet just hearing her say, she's like, "Whatever, whenever you're done, we'll go wherever you want. Tommy's Sheep Ranch, the moon, just those three specific things no one else would pick those things it's a collection of things that is very unique to the two of them together for her to say i'll follow you anywhere you want to go but there's no halfway with this we finish what we started and it's just brutal because you know that it's going to be challenging no matter what happened and the, again there's like a like with marlene earlier there's like this thing that happens in this universe where you have to take those those feelings and stuff them down inside of you and she is experiencing this beautiful moment with the giraffes and she has to immediately compartmentalize it and then get back on task and it's just a terrible way to live even though you see this you know it's triggered by this incredibly gorgeous amazing moment that you and i will probably never have 
and that you're so happy she gets to experience. It's just, yeah. it's, it's fleeting. Everything is fleeting. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. So they take off, and then that they're they're at this abandoned infirmary that was created or set up by the army. What is that? I don't know what that is. This is all before Fedra took over and um, just kind of killed the world along with infected. But this is where Joel confesses to Ellie how he got his scar. He says, it was me. I was the guy who shot and missed. And we're meant to insinuate that he tried to kill himself. Of course, he describes it in a little bit more detail. The dialogue here is really beautiful because he says, or she says, So time heals all wounds, I guess. It wasn't time that did it. And there's a pause, just like a like three or four beats where he looks at her, she looks at him, and they're saying things without saying things. It's like they be, they have become father and daughter. Like he sees her more deeply. This is the first time in a while since the, the, the resort that he has showed deep emotion, but he's doing it in a way that there's still hesitation. And I think that's just part of the scarring that comes from living in the world where they are constantly being bombarded by different things with moments of giraffes and things like that. And so having a pocket of dialogue here to show that he's essentially saying, I'm giving you this moment to let you know that you are the reason that I am still here. It's not any other reason that you have made my life better because of what we've been through. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. Like you said, and the pause between them is so impactful when they just look at each other and it's broken by Ellie simply saying, I'm glad that didn't work out. And Joel just says, me too. And it's like the most Joel and Ellie dialogue ever. It's not, I love you so much. Thank you for saving my life. Right. It's not the words that you would read in a novel or whatever. It is a very realistic depiction of these two characters and the way that they interact with one another. It's super consistent. And I just love that so, so much because I'm glad that it didn't work out. You know, like that's almost like a sarcastic thing that might come out of her yeah. mouth, but it's not in the tone that it is said. It's so, so meaningful. Um, and right. I, it's, it's just so great. And of course it's broken up with some great levity. Even better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Joel requests more puns from Ellie and just two or three really good ones. First time he's ever asked for puns. This is, yeah. he, he <laughs> goes out of his way and he's like, I know she likes puns. I'm going to give her something she wants. Yeah. And she gives it to him. And after two or three, love this shot because she's telling him the joke and we sort of see in the background these two figures very quickly like what 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 and before we can realize what's happened they throw a smoke bomb at joel and ellie and they get ambushed and there's then a knock on the head and blackout so again <laughs> nice pockets of joy intermixed with the nastiness of the world well then we're in the hospital finally joel wakes up he sees marlene uh, he asks about ellie and marlene says she's safe and I'm like, nah, she's not safe. <laughs> Marlene explains why Ellie's in surgery, that the cordyceps has been with her since birth, and that being 
in her could create a cure. I don't want to go into all the details, but it's essentially that the cordyceps, when she got infected, because the cordyceps was already in her, it thought it was cool, and it, I guess it gave her immunity. And so that theory then creates a crisis of conscience for Joel because he realizes, oh my gosh, it's in the brain. They're going to have to kill her in order to get this potential vaccine out. Another tender moment with Joel, he's like, please don't do this. Please don't. And Marlene's like, we got to do this, Joel. I was thinking about it as she was telling him all this this time. And I was like, what if Marlene just didn't do this? What if they just didn't tell Joel the truth and what was happening? Because she could have lied. And it was in the process of happening. Like the surgery would have gone through before he was able to realize and stop it. I was trying to think through this probably on on too deep of a like meta level of me trying to figure out the storytelling devices here. But I honestly, I think it works because Marlene has never been a character that is overtly bad or hateful or hurtful to people. And I think she has had a, you know, contentious relationship with Joel at times, but she understands his value and she she doesn't hate him. I think she is doing what she would naturally do, which is just tell anybody that in this situation, the truth, like she's not thinking through this carefully because I don't think she expects Joel to react quite this way. I mean, I think she expects him to be upset because she tells them pretty straightforward and she's like, you know, take him away, get him out of here. If he does anything, then you kill him. So she's, she respects him. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. She respects him so much because he got this far that she really wants him to know the truth and give him a chance to just move along and get his life on with it. And then that line that she gives him when he comes back at her and she says, Oh, I promised her mother that I would save her child, Joel. So I do understand. I'm the only one that understands. That's a, that's a powerful thing. I don't think she understands the relationship between Joel and Ellie. Clearly, she doesn't know what they have now. And I think it's stronger in a lot of ways than the promise that Marlene made to Anna. But I love this moment because you really get to understand that both of these characters have an investment in Ellie's life, and it's not easy for anybody. Yeah, it's like having two parents who are trying to provide a way for their child, and they're in harsh disagreement. Maybe it's a divorced couple or something, and their child is making a decision, and they're like, no, I know what's best for her. No, I know what's best for her. And that's what I see here, is that you have Marlene, who's made the initial investment from birth to however old she is now, and then you got Joel, who rightly so is respected by Marlene, not because he's a father, but because he's a soldier, because he's a survivor. Like she respects him for what he's done, not for how he cares, not for how he is. I think that she looks at Joel without knowing that he's a father first. And I think that for a long time, Joel didn't see himself as a father of any kind because he lost his daughter. This whole journey with Ellie has been a spark and a reawakening 
of what it means to be a dad to your child. Again, this goes back to what we were talking about in the previous episode with David. Had we stayed with David the whole time and grown up with his journey, would we have respected the choices he made? Well, ultimately, probably not because he just went wacko. But we question that because we know that people are on different journeys. And I think that Marlene is kind of like us to Joel, like we are to David in the fact that she doesn't know what's happened over the last six months. All she knows is that these two have been on a hard journey that she herself has admitted (laughs) nobody else could have survived except Joel. So I think that respect you talk about is respect for the journey, not respect for how he cares for, for Ellie. And in that moment, because we're on Joel's side, because we've been with them for the last six months, we're like, Marlene, you're awful. When in actuality, she's not. Like, she has a point. She has a valid point. For her not to tell Joel, I think would go against her character because she's not that way. But I think it was kind of stupid that she did because of the fact that I think she underestimated Joel's deep love for Ellie. And rightly so, because that's what we get next, where he's being escorted out. The two guys get shot and he grabs Ellie's knife and and his pack. And then this combat montage begins. This is a question mark for us, Aaron, because the last probably, well, for me, it'd be like 45 minutes for the average player be like 15 because it takes me too long to go through this whole thing. (laughs) It's pretty long, man. It is a lot. This is where I would die, by the way. This is where I would die. You got to stealth around (laughs) quite a bit. You do. And you don't in the game. It doesn't seem to ever end. Like you knock out 15 guys. You're like, okay, is it time for, oh, Okay, okay, next next batch. And then you're like, all right, that's got to be... Nope, there's another batch. And it's not until probably 20 minutes later from just solid combat that you end up where you do. And I was really kind of questioning, how are they going to handle this? Because there's no way that they're going to skip this. Like, this was an integral part of the game. Like, this is the last journey that Joel has to go on to rescue Ellie. And I loved how they did it, a montage of him in slow motion, kind of all Zack Snyder-esque, where he's grabbing different guns, he's shooting. It shows that he has no mercy. As you mentioned before, the switch has flipped in him, and he's like, this is what I'm going to do, and nothing's going to stop me. And it captured so much his devotion to Ellie. I love how they handled it, because they're not big on combat, rightly so. You don't want to watch people go around for 30 minutes and shoot things. It's just not fun from a spectator point of view. You want to participate in that. And so the way they handled this, I thought really added to uh, how we see Joel as a dedicated human being, a dedicated father figure, and also how mad he can get, how angry and how focused he can get from that anger. Yeah. I was a little bummed. He didn't use the, um, what's the fire weapon. (laughs) <laughs> oh, the flamethrower. Flame yeah, that was I was a big flamethrower yeah. guy by this point. I saved up all of my flame tank so that I could like go nuts in this short confined space. No, really. It was you're right though on the no mercy thing right off the bat. The guy in the stairwell, the first one's dead, the second one's not. He shoots him in the leg, incapacitates him, and then says, "Tell me where she is." And the guy doesn't immediately answer and he's like, "I ain't got time for this." Boom, executes him. And then there's another moment during the montage where he a guy puts his weapon down raises his hands and joel's like dead like there is no (laughs) that's the real like that one's even worse that's the okay 
you don't care anymore. Like it's not a, it's vengeance at this point. I also love that there are a couple parts in this montage you're talking about where as he's going through it, and it's pretty decently long. Like it, it gets the same point across of how many people he has to go through and kill going through corridors, hiding, crouching, and he has to change weapons. So like he'll run out with a pistol, he'll put it down, pick up the weapon, the like automatic rifle from the guy that he just killed and then use that for a while. And that is very last of us. Like that's the gameplay of a shooter like this, because you don't just have the same weapon all the time. Like you are improvising on the fly. You run out of ammo. You just, you pick up whatever's near you and you use that. And I like that it kind of got that in there as well. Yeah. It's, it's just a beeline of rage against the machine and nothing will stop me from getting to her. <laughs> yeah. Well, the climax of this scene to me is the pediatric surgery room goes down the hall. That hallway, Aaron is so iconic, especially in the second game because of how it's used in multiple ways. I'll just say that I won't spoil anything about the second game, but very much a, a focal point that long hallway into pediatric surgery. He makes his way into the room and he sees Ellie about to be operated on. The doctor says, Hey, you can't be here. Boom. Done. Just like in the game. And then he points the gun at the nurses who react just like they do in the game. He sees Ellie he spares the nurses. And I ask myself, is that a good thing? That he spared him. I don't know. Uh, but then he takes Ellie down to the, to the parking garage. And it's just, I don't know if there's any music here at this point think there is but i can't can't recall but i almost wonder like the way his face reacts the, his facial expressions i wonder if if he's having second thoughts like not really should i have left ellie on the operating table but man i just committed a massacre for this moment is that something that i'm gonna be having to live with for the rest of my life but it obviously doesn't stop him from <laughs> escaping at that point yeah, I mean, it, it's rough. <laughs> I I think it's interesting that he leaves the nurses alive, as you mentioned, because he's killed everyone else. He kills the doctor. And so it's like, why would you stop there? I know that there is, there's a great cameo in this scene uh, from an actress named Laura Bailey, who plays a critical main character i won't even describe her because i don't know who's played the game and who hasn't so she's a critical main character in the part two of the video game series and there are some th things that come out that harken back to this specific moment and I, I love the way that they tied that in with an easter egg is what i'll say but like from a you know serious standpoint yeah I, you're taking a risk of letting people know things by leaving these people alive. I can only say that I think it shows that Joel isn't thinking in that tactical way as much as he was just trying to get to his objective. And his objective was to stop the threat to Ellie. And once that was accomplished, he could stop for the moment because the nurses weren't going to pose any threat the nurses couldn't do this on their own. The doctor, Marlene, had already explained there was a lot of research that had gone into this. So this is a, a specific surgeon 
that has a lot of history and had been planning to do this for years and years and years. This wasn't just some random guy in scrubs either. So I think that's probably why he went ahead, took him out. He's going to want to continue this too, just like Marlene would. And the nurses are more like you think of them as just helpers. That, that's kind of my reasoning for that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I remember playing it for the first time and What's interesting, Patrick, and I will say this about the video game for people who haven't played it, is I learned this after the fact. You don't have to kill this doctor. The game, when you go into the room, it sort of points you toward him. And it it's like enticing you almost because you've just gone through, like you said, maybe up to 45 minutes of killing people on your way to this room. But you don't actually have to do it. But as players and as viewers even of watching the show you're conditioned because you're in joel's pov like you just expect him to do this and i think that's fascinating from a psychological perspective because of what you've just done before you kind of do something that in a sense may not even be as necessary so you're saying that you can actually bypass the doctor and just pick ellie up and leave yes (laughs) okay insane no one does it they had stats it was like one percent (laughs) <laughs> I just, I don't. But it's not like, but I, think I, about it. The game doesn't freeze and put you pointed at him and not let you move until you pull the trigger. It just like, true. yeah, it's wild. So in some ways it's sort of directing you, but I think you're right. I think it's, it is inspired by or influenced by what you've just gone through. Like everybody's the enemy. And I think to an extent that would go the equal opposite way which is as a player, you just mowed down the doctor. You kill the doctor. I apologize. You do kill the doctor. You don't have to kill the nurses, which is what makes it more accurate with the the way that we see it in the show. Okay. Okay. I did. And I think that's the thing is like you naturally, that's what was jarring to me about Joel not doing it because naturally Ah. you just, you see somebody in a room, you like, you pie the room. You you kill the doctor. Of course, you're just going to kill the rest of them. (laughs) Exactly. But, you didn't have to do that. And most people did. Yeah. What if there's a giraffe in the room? Would you kill the giraffe too? No. Or the monkeys, like from earlier. Uh-uh, no way. <laughs> so animals are exempt from the from the, the mow down of Unless they're like and sentient and guns. like Caesar and trying to do the surgery on her themselves, then yes. <laughs> Just see a black tongued giraffe like try to grab a scalpel and be like, we're going to do this. That's a bigger <laughs> problem than the zombies at this point. We've really ele- escalated. An infected giraffe that can do surgery. Wow. That could be like The Last of Us Part 7 or something if they're still milking this one. Bring it on. Okay. Well, we're not doing that. We're actually moving on to the parking garage. Joel's trying to escape. He's stopped by Marlene, who is apparently the only person left in the world, or at least in the hospital, because he's killed everybody else except the nurses. And she tries to convince him that it's not his decision to make, but rather it's Ellie's. Don't quite disagree with her. But at the same time, at the same time, Aaron, Marlene never gave Ellie the choice either. Like Marlene put her under. And to say that to Joel feels a little bit hypocritical. <laughs> you can't you can't do that, Marlene. You can't say it's Ellie's choice to make. So what, you're going to wait for her to wake up and then say, hey, Ellie, I know you're kind of halfway like drugged up. But listen, the fate of the world lies in your brain. Are you cool with us ending your life for the sake of the world? No, I, I think at this point, the fact that Marlene physically put Ellie in a position where she couldn't make the choice, she doesn't buy her own advice here at all. I think she believes it. And I 
tend to believe that she would as well. I think that if Ellie was given the choice and Ellie was told, you can save the world if we kill you, but we have to kill you in order to get the vaccine. I think that Marlene is correct. I think that Ellie would do it. Marlene calls it right, which is what the questionable thing here is. Like, that's debatable, whether that's the right thing or not. But I do believe that Ellie would. I also love that you pointed out the hypocrisy of her saying <laughs> that, you know that Ellie would want to know, well, if you, maybe if you really believe that, you would have told her the first time and given her the choice. I think there is a high chance that she would do it, but why take the risk when you could just force her, you know, in I, a sense? Yeah, and I, I don't think she would have. So, yes, I agree with all that. I don't think that Ellie would have chosen not to die. I think she would have made the sacrifice. I, I, I'm 100% with you on that. The fact that Marlene didn't give her a choice frustrates me because that's where I think she's losing a little bit of credibility. But I also think, in her defense, she didn't expect this relationship with Joel to be what it is. Yeah. And so there's a part of me that says she put her under because there wasn't anything for her to live for. Like, she doesn't have a mom. She doesn't have Riley anymore. She doesn't have anything. And so Marlene takes her, gets her prepped for surgery, and then she has this conversation with Joel. And I almost wonder if Marlene was thinking, I got to save face. I'm going to say these things. I'm going to believe these things. But in the back of my mind, there's a small part of me who's like, man, maybe I should have just stopped and said, Ellie, what do you want to do? She's got her own pressures to deal with because this was her mission. And that's kind of what's driving her as well. Yeah, I think it's a progressive. This is all happening very fast. Joel has just murdered practically the entire Firefly brigade that is in this hospital single-handedly. It's one of those situations where she's going to say anything she can say that can possibly appeal to him. So whether it's true or not, kind of almost goes out the window because this is just, she is appealing to him. Then she, I mean, after she says these things, she puts the gun down and she's like begging and she's like, just come on, I'll give you a chance. You don't have to answer for what you just did, but let's just get this done. This is one of those, I will say and do whatever I have to in order to get this man to agree and do what I need him to do situations. And as we've seen from Joel in that third person point of view, not just over the shoulder, but as an audience, we know that that's not going to fly. We know it's not like work, yeah. he's had two or three of those opportunities to provide some mercy throughout the series. And he's like, nope. And that's when we get the the truck sequence and the flashback sort of happening at once. Joel's driving in a truck, and at first we were sort of meant to think maybe he left Ellie because his face and not seeing her in the back at first, we think, oh, maybe he did give her up. But nope, he did take her. She wakes up, and she he basically just starts lying to her. <laughs> he says, turns out there's a whole lot more like you, dozens of them. The doctors couldn't do anything. They stopped looking for a cure. And every line that he says, I just shake my head even lower and even lower. And I just lose more respect for Joel. I get it. Emotionally, I absolutely get it. You have been through hell and back for this girl. And now in order to, quote, save her, you have to lie to her face. You have to tell her all these things that did not happen. And what we find out is that in the parking garage, Joel actually shoots Marlene twice. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he says, you just come after her and bang, she's dead. So no more fireflies, apparently. We're sitting in that for you know a few beats where we're asking the question, whose side are we on? 
And I think it's in this moment that we see maybe from the drugs, but maybe from the disappointment, maybe the, we came all this way for nothing. Ellie, the way she turns away from Joel and goes back to sleep, it kind of puts that sadness in us. Like, wow, we saved the girl, but maybe we lost the relationship. Yeah, I love the way that we don't see in real time him killing Marlene. I think that how they execute that is really nice. And I appreciated that. All that I could think of was, okay, you big time liar. (laughs) This is awful. Like telling her that there's dozens more immune and all of these things. It's one of those things where I don't believe Ellie believes him in this moment because there is absolutely zero conviction in his voice. He He doesn't believe himself. Okay, so the truck breaks down. And so does their relationship. <laughs> and then, wow, in my opinion, and they start hiking. They go towards Tommy's. Joel's talking along the way about how Ellie and Sarah aren't too different from each other. Yeah, that Sarah would have liked Ellie because Ellie would make her laugh and that she would probably like her back. This is such a great bookend to the beginning of the episode because Joel is sort of back to this sort of lighthearted guy that he was at the beginning of the episode. Like, the way that he describes comparing Ellie to, to Sarah. Like she was pretty, not that you're not pretty. (laughs) Uh, She had a great smile. Not that you don't have a great smile, but how he sort of fumbles over his words and his thoughts. Like he's on a first date with someone and he just doesn't know what to say. He feels the weight lifted. And I think he's having this sort of lighthearted conversation to take his mind off the fact that he has just blatantly lied to this girl. She's back to trauma. She's back to daydreaming. She's back to being in the thick of her emotions. And I love how this sort of wraps itself up where, where they started and where they ended in this episode are kind of in the same place, yet something pretty incredible has happened. They've lost the opportunity for Ellie to be significant and they've lost the opportunity to potentially find a cure that's going to heal most, if not all, of mankind of this uh, this disease. And so it was very, very sad, uh, even though I enjoyed the conversation, the dialogue, knowing what we know, it just feels so, again, hypocritical. It feels fake in some ways, but also it feels desperate from Joel because I think he's trying to mend something that he knows is broken, but maybe not quite knowing what she's feeling in that moment. Oh yeah. It's dirty. I mean, it's, it's very dirty. (laughs) Joel is, he has discovered and found something and it took all this time to break through these walls for their relationship to grow to this point of value for him and for it to change him and, and open him back up to love again he doesn't want to let it go. It's a, it's a very selfish feeling that he is experiencing. He's like, I've suppressed this for years and years and years. And now here it is. It's in my grasp. I got a taste of it right before we went into that hospital and I want it back and I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to get that back. And, and that's not heroic. That's, something that we should be very critical of him about. And it's why the ending of this game is so divisive because not just of the choice to save or not save her, but like the choice of what you do or don't tell her 
and how she reacts to that. What what does that mean? And, and what is that going to mean for her future? Because in this story, we don't know. You know, we The Last of Us 2 didn't exist for years and years and years and years. And it was just massive fan arguing and speculation over the way that Joel treats Ellie in this scene. And does it undo all the good and all the fatherly protection that he's offered her for this entire journey and all of these things, man, it's, it's, it is complicated and that's okay because his love is real. His love is real and her love is real, even though there's not fully truth there. So it's complicated. (laughs) I think this adds a third layer to her trauma of relationships. She said several episodes ago, everyone I've loved has either left or died. And now you can add lied to me. I think the common thing here that I picked up on was the fact that she wasn't even given a choice by him. She wasn't given a choice by Marlene or by him. Granted, Marlene was probably right in that if she gave her a choice, it would probably be for Marlene's approach as opposed to Joel. But the fact that he has taken that agency away from her, not only not giving her the choice, but covering it up by saying, all these things that aren't true, it just adds to that third layer of not having someone you can be with fully. The accent piece of this scene is when, after she talks about when she had to kill Riley, her first kill, she says, Swear to me that everything you said about the fireflies is true. I swear. Okay. Man, ah, what are we going to (laughs) do? In 2013, we were waiting like seven years for the next, the next answer me shorter than you because you played it in real time. I played it, I think several years later, but it is just an absolute gut punch because she wants to believe him. She has trusted him. She has seen how he fights for her and knowing that he straight up lied to her. It's like, okay, when this hits the fan, because it always does, how hurt, how deep is this going to cut? And um, it just leaves us wanting, leaves us wanting resolution. It leaves us wanting answers. And just like the game, we don't have it, and that's okay. That's what I think a great ending to a story is. It just leaves us with questions, wanting more, but being okay if we can't get it because our speculation and conversations and all that stuff can help satisfy some of the emotional trauma that we're feeling at the end of, of this story. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it really is. Like I said, it launched years and years and years of fan conversations and debates and finger pointing of judging people based on their opinion on what the ending of this game or how it should be read or how how characters should be judged, etc. Because it's hard. It's so hard. And the way that that conversation happens, like you said, it's swear to me, swear to me, it's true. And it's then it's the lie, the point blank, I swear. And then her saying, okay, which in my humble opinion is 
100% her saying, I don't believe you, but I'm going to choose to say, okay, because I would rather deal with the lie and go on to have the best possible experience with you in my life that I possibly could versus knowing the truth and having it potentially harm or ruin our relationship. And and I think in this is the most human of things right here, Patrick, like relationships, we all deal with this. Who among us has not told a lie because we wanted to spare someone's feelings. You and I covered a movie on feeling film podcast earlier this year called you hurt my feelings. That is 100% all about this exact concept. It was, I told you something that wasn't true because I didn't want you to be upset or hurt. And that's what's happening here. And it it's, Oh, it's, it's hard. It's so, so hard, but it's real. It's realistic, you know? And, and I think ultimately I am left when I watch the show, when I play this game satisfied because this is what I am glad has happened. I would rather have these two people having an ability to go forth in this world and share a life together, regardless of all the crap that they've been through and try to move forward and be and happy and, and have love than the alternative, <laughs> you know, whatever that might Absolutely. be. Absolutely. So, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Well, that does it for season one of The Last of Us, and that will do it for us on this episode of an original series. But be sure to check out our next conversation celebrating the world of long form storytelling. Aaron, thanks for stepping in and being part of this journey with me. I've enjoyed it. We're definitely going to have you back for a future series. And um, this has been fantastic. And so thanks for uh, joining me on this, uh, this particular series. Thank you for having me. It has been a joy, a blast. I'm just glad I got to rewatch this again, <laughs> having a reason to and getting to talk through it with you. It's been perfect. And I'm just really thankful that you had me here to do this. Well, be sure to check out our next conversation celebrating the world of long-form storytelling. Uh, Until then, I'm Patch, he's Aaron, and we are out of here.